1 Corinthians chapter 2 tonight. First Corinthians chapter two. Let's go to the Lord in prayer. Father, it is again good to be in your house tonight, and Lord, I thank you for the music that we've been able to enjoy this evening. It is good to be reminded of that rugged cross that uh, you were willing to lay your life down on. God, I thank you uh, that uh, we can draw nearer to you uh, if we choose to, and I pray that you'd help us to do just that tonight. I pray that you'd bless the effort to preach your word, that you'd use it to speak to our hearts this evening. I pray this now in Jesus' name. Amen. Well, last week we began looking at chapter 2 as we've been in this study now for several weeks. And we began looking or we spent time looking at uh, verses 1 through 5. And there we watched as Paul continued uh, addressing the fact that whenever he came to the city of Corinth, he did not do so with excellency of speech. He did not come with the wisdom of man or the wisdom of the world. He said in verse number 4 that he did not come with enticing words uh, of men's wisdom, but in demonstration of the Spirit and of power. And so what the Apostle Paul declared was this, is that whenever he came, he did not use fancy speech in a good sales pitch. The Apostle Paul knew that in and of himself, if he were to, to do so, he had the ability to produce for lack of better words, results. He could get people to make decisions for Christ, so to speak. But that was not what the Apostle Paul wanted to do because he said in verse number 5 that it was his desire that their faith would not stand in the wisdom of men but in the power of God. Whenever Paul was gone from the city of Corinth, he wanted people to know that they were saved not because of the wisdom of man but because of what God had done in their lives and so we looked and we considered the integrity of the Apostle Paul in his ministry and in his preaching. And that is so important because I said today, so many people in the religious world do not have integrity. They will do whatever it takes to generate decisions. They will do whatever it takes to generate a response, so to speak, to the alleged preaching of the Word of God. And so many times people are making decisions based on the appeal of a man rather than the conviction of the Holy Spirit. And just this week I was visiting with a preacher. Uh, you would know the name if I gave you the name of the preacher. But uh, we were visiting and we were talking about an evangelist in our own ranks. And here's what he said. He said he's good at stirring the people up. He said if you want the people stirred up, he's a good guy to bring in. But then he just stopped shy of giving me his full opinion and just kind of smiled and nodded and said, basically, you get the idea. I want to remind us that as we deal with the lost, I don't care if it's from the pulpit or if it's on a personal level, as we deal with the lost, we better have integrity in how we deal with them. The Holy Spirit ought to be the one who is doing the conviction and not us and the persuasive conversation that we try to use with them. So that's what we talked about last week. Tonight we're going to move on and consider a few more verses. Before we do, I want us to think about a truth 
we all know this, but I want us to think about this, and that is every one of us have wants. Every one of us have wants. I don't care who we are, every one of us have wants. It doesn't mean that we're bad people just because we have wants. I think that's how we're geared as fallen man. We see something we like and we want it. We see something that maybe someone else has and we say, oh, I'd like to have something like that. Whatever it may be, we all have wants. That in mind, there is a distinct difference between a want and a need. You know that, right? There is a distinct difference between a want and a need. A want is not necessary, but a need is a necessity. And so this evening, here is what I know, that at different times in our lives, we are all going to experience times of need. It's not going to be a daily occurrence, possibly. It may not even be a weekly occurrence. But at some point in our life, all of us are going to experience needs And we can experience them in many different realms of our lives. Someone may say something like this, I have an emotional need, and emotional needs are legitimate. Somebody may say, well, I have a financial need right now, and it be a legitimate financial need. Someone may have a spiritual need. Someone may have a physical need. The list goes on and on, but every one of us at some point in our lives are going to have a need. That being the case, suppose, and I know that this is not true, but just suppose for a moment that I had the answer to your need. If you had an emotional need, I could address it. If you had a physical need, I could fix it. If you had a financial need, I could meet it. If you had a spiritual need, I could give you the direction you needed. Suppose for just a moment that you had a need and I could take care of it, but it was conditional upon something. That in order for this need in your life to be met, you were going to have to do something in order for it to be met. If there was a condition attached to the need or the solution to your need, what would our response be? Well, it would depend, would it not, on what the condition was. If I said I can meet this need, whatever it is, and again, I know that I cannot meet needs, but if I said I can meet this need, but there is this one condition before I will do it, your response to whether or not you would do it would depend on what the condition was and whether or not you thought it was worth it to do this in order to get this. Now, why mention that? Well, this evening I want us to think about this, and we'll get to the text in just a moment. But at some point in our lives, every one of us are going to need direction. Every one of us are going to need some direction. Every one of us are going to need some answers for the situations we are facing in life. You may need direction at work. You may need it in the home. You may need it uh, with a relationship. You may need it with some other issue that I wouldn't even think of tonight. But at some point in my life and at some point in your life, we are going to find ourselves in need of an answer 
and in need of direction because, truth be told, none of us have all the answers to life's questions. I'd love, as I've probably said before, I would love to be able to tell you I've got all the answers. But the older I get, the more I understand and the better I understand, I don't begin to have all the answers. If I was as smart today as I thought I was 20 years ago, I would be in incredible shape. But today I better understand just how ignorant I am. And whether you would like to admit this or not, you are just as needy when it comes to direction and answers for your life. And that's not an enjoyable position to be in sometimes. And so it's with that in mind that I want us to begin looking in verse number 6. As we do remember what Paul has emphasized over and over again throughout this opening chapter in the first verses of chapter 2, he has talked about the fact that he did not come to them with the wisdom of man. He did not come to them with worldly wisdom, with philosophy and intellectualism. But notice what he says in verse, verse number 6. He says, How be it? We speak wisdom among them that are perfect. Howbeit, we speak wisdom among them that are perfect. What does it mean when the Apostle Paul references someone or identifies someone as one who is perfect? Well, we know that he's not talking about someone who is sinless. We know that he's not talking about someone who is without flaw and without fault and one who would be completely blameless. But whenever he talks about someone who is perfect, he is talking about someone who is complete or who would be mature in their Christian lives and in their Christian walk. He would not be talking about someone who was immature. He would not be talking about someone who, as we've been talking about in the book of Hebrews, one who is undeveloped in his spiritual life and one who was still a babe and one who was still struggling just to get the milk down, much less the meat. But he says in verse number 6 that he did speak wisdom among them that are perfect or them that are mature and them that are complete. Now, again, we've got to notice this that the Apostle Paul is identifying a group of people that would be different even than just the classification of a believer. Because again, you can be a believer but not be mature and developed in your spiritual life. So the Apostle Paul says, though we did not come to you with the wisdom of man and intellectualism and philosophy, he says to those who are perfect, to those who are complete or mature, we did speak wisdom among them. What does it mean then to speak wisdom among them that are mature and them that are perfect and complete? It would mean this. We taught you some biblical wisdom. We taught you some godly wisdom. We taught you some things from the Word of God that you could understand and that you could apply in your personal lives. It's needed in the spiritual life, is it not? Godly, biblical wisdom. And this, again, is for the perfect, the complete, the mature, because some who identify themselves as believers, they could hear biblical wisdom and get choked on it and start gagging and not have the right response to biblical instruction and biblical wisdom. It happens all the time. 
Well, how do we know that that's what he's talking about? Well, notice what he said in verse number 6. Yet not the wisdom of this world, nor of the princes of the world, that come to naught. Now again, he says, we did not speak unto the perfect or the complete or the mature or, or those who have a developed walk with the Lord. We did not give them wisdom of this world, nor of the princes or the rulers of this world that come to naught. What does it mean? It means this, as we've said before, worldly wisdom is going to come to nothing at some point in an individual's life. A, a person can adopt worldly wisdom. A, a person can adopt a, a worldly mindset. And what is going to happen at some point is this. All of their wisdom and all of their intelligence and all their knowledge, at some point it is going to be proven futile and worthless. So the Apostle Paul said this, We spoke the wisdom to them that were mature, to them that were perfect and complete, but not the wisdom of the world nor the princes of this world that comes to naught or to nothing. He said in verse number 7, But we speak the wisdom of God in a mystery even the hidden wisdom, which God ordained or determined before the world unto our glory. He says, we spoke the wisdom of God in a, in a mystery, and that which is hidden. What does it mean for something to be a mystery and for something to be hidden? It means this. It means for it to be concealed. It's not obvious and it's not out there in the open. Here's what the Apostle Paul is saying. He is saying this, The wisdom that I gave, it is not something that everyone just naturally sees and naturally grasps and naturally understands and begins to naturally apply. That is why the wisdom of this world is confounded by the wisdom of the Scripture and the wisdom of God and the wisdom of believers. They don't understand how you could say that and it be right. They don't understand how you could do this and it worked. They don't understand how you can operate your family in this manner and that somehow worked for you. It does not make sense to them. And so what Paul said is this, is we spake the wisdom of God in a mystery. It wasn't obvious. It wasn't open for everyone to understand. And he said, you have to understand, this was God-ordained before the world unto our glory. This is how God determined it before the world began that a carnal lost man would never understand biblical scriptural principles in their lives. They may identify some and they may adopt some, but, but in the bigger picture, they are not going to understand biblical scriptural wisdom. So he said in verse number 8, of this biblical wisdom which none of the princes of this world knew. The rulers and the leaders of this world, they didn't understand it. They didn't grasp it. They never had it revealed to them. And so he says, none of the princes of this world knew. For had they known it, they would not have crucified the Lord of glory. Had the rulers, had the princes of this world known what we know, they would not have done to Christ what they did. Notice down in verse number 10, he says, But God hath revealed them unto us by his Spirit. Revealed what? The mysteries and the hidden things. 
God hath revealed them unto us by His Spirit, for the Spirit searcheth all things, yea, the deep things of God. So if you'll follow this thought process, here's what we've got throughout chapter 1 and beginning in chapter 2. Paul says, I didn't come to you with an excellency of speech. I didn't come to you with enticing words of man's wisdom. I have not declared the wisdom of man. I have not declared the wisdom of the world. I have given to you the wisdom of God. I have given to you the understanding and the skill and the discernment of the word of God. And he says, of those who are perfect, here is what I did. I presented the wisdom of God to them. Fine. It's good to know. It's good to understand the context here because we come to verse number 9 and we read a verse that many people are familiar with, but it's often taken out of context and misapplied in a horrible way. See, in verse number 9 it says, But as it is written, a loose reference to a statement that the prophet Isaiah spoke, he says, But as it is written, I hath not seen nor ear heard, neither have entered into the heart of man the things which God hath prepared for them that love him. Now I want to ask you something. If you've ever heard this verse quoted, if you've ever heard this verse preached, or if you're like me and would have to admit you've ever quoted it or used it in a certain setting... If you're like me, here's what most of us have heard. We have heard this used as a reference to heaven. That eye hath not seen, and ear hath not heard, and, and the heart of man, it hasn't began to enter into us the things that God has prepared for us or has made available for us those who love Him. And, and we look at this and we say, well, isn't heaven going to be a wonderful thing? Eye hath not seen, ear hasn't heard, and neither has it entered into the heart of man. Th that's all good and it all sounds nice, but that's horribly out of context. The Apostle Paul did not skip from this talking about wisdom and knowledge and understanding and the secret things and the mysteries and how they've been concealed and, and kept from the rulers of this world. He, he did not do that and then in verse number 10 start talking about how wisdom has been revealed to, to us by the Spirit, but in verse number 9 just go off on a rabbit trail and talk about heaven for a minute. That's not what he did. The Apostle Paul was a better writer than this, especially when you factor in the leading of the Holy Spirit in the whole process. So I didn't give you man's wisdom. I, I did not give you intellectualism and philosophy. I did not do that. To the perfect, to the complete, to the mature, to the ones who are past the infancy stage in their Christian life, here is what I did. I have given them the wisdom of God in a mystery, even the hidden things. Now, Corinthians, understand something. I hath not seen, nor ear heard, neither have entered into the heart of man the things which God hath prepared or made available for them that love him. I wonder what he's talking about. 
If he's not talking about heaven, what is he talking about? The only thing that you can do is look at the context and say, what in the world could he be talking about? It would have to be the wisdom and the understanding and the skill and the discernment that is available to a child of God. Believers, your eye hath not seen the wisdom and the skill and the intellect and the discernment and the perception. Your eye hath not seen what God is capable of. Your ear hath not heard. And it has not even begun to enter into your mind all the things that are available to the child of God, what God has prepared for them. Now why, oh why, is that important to know? Because in my life, I am going to need direction. In my life, I am going to need answers. And I don't know if you have ever reached a point in your life where you have said something like this, even maybe to yourself or, or maybe to someone around you, but you have said something like this, I have no idea what to do. If I had a dollar for every time I said that in the last, I don't know, five years, and it was sincere, you probably wouldn't have to pay me much for me to survive financially. Because I am, again, finding myself in so many situations where I am saying something like this, I have no idea what to do. I, 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 I don't know what to do. Susie says, what do you think you ought to do? I don't know. Maybe I'm talking to someone and I, I'm saying, you know, this is what's going on and this is what's happening, this is what's taking place. And somebody says, so what are you thinking about doing? At this point, I'm thinking about doing nothing. Because I don't know what to do. Now again, this is not... For every professed child of, of God and, and every professed believer, but if I'm going to take this in its context and I'm going to consider it in its context, then I come to verse number 9 and here is what I begin to realize. Not because of my wisdom, but because of God's wisdom. Not because of my understanding, not because of my discernment, not because of my perception, not because of my skill, but because of God's understanding and His discernment and His perception and His skill. Because of those things that God has available to Him, then answers that I could not even begin to imagine, He can begin to give me so that I might have right direction for any area of my life. I like that. Because as I visited with my mom today, she said, how are you doing? I said, I'm fine. And she said, you don't sound so convinced. And I said, I'm fine. What's going on? I said, mom, basically I said, I'm raising kids. And I don't know what I'm doing. 
I don't. You know what's wonderful to me, though? God has all the answers I need to raise kids properly. He's got every answer. God, this is going on, and Lord, you know this is my, this is my first time. I know others have been down this road before, but for me, I, I just got into this game, and you know, I'm, I'm just now paying the admission, and I'm getting to this point in, in, in this stage of life, and, and, and God, I, I don't know what I'm doing. God has the answer. Lord, just got to be honest with you. In dealing with this situation at the church, whatever it may be, God, I don't know what I'm doing. I, I, I don't know if I say this or if I don't say this. I don't know if I do this or I don't do this. I don't know if I act this way. I don't know if I act this way. God, I... I don't know what to do. He does. You may look at this and say, Lord, it relates to my health, and I don't know what decision I ought to make. God, it relates to the finances right now, and I don't know what I'm supposed to do. We're not trying to be cavalier in our attitude. We're not trying to be uh, flippant about this. We, we truly, honestly don't know what, what am I supposed to do right now. Lord, I don't know what I'm supposed to do with my job. I don't know what I'm supposed to do with this relationship. I, I just, I don't know what I'm supposed to do. The beauty of it is this. God knows what to do. Because of his wisdom, because of his understanding that was even ordained before the world began. You and I can't wrap our minds around that truth. But before the world began, God knew the world was going to fall or the man was going to fall into sin. And he knew that we would live in a fallen world. And he knew every problem we would find ourselves in before he ever created the world. And so before he ever created the world, you know what he did? He came up with solutions for every problem we would face. That's rather proactive in the process, is it not? I'm going to create man. They'll be rebellious. They're going to sin against me and everyone who is of the seed of Adam, which will be of everyone. They're all going to foul up. They're all going to be sinners. They're all going to fall short of the glory of God. And they're all going to make messes of their lives. They're all going to see themselves in situations they didn't plan and situations they didn't foresee. And they're going to find themselves in helpless situations. And for those who have called upon me to be their, sa to be their Savior, here's what I'm going to be able to do. I will be able to give them an answer to every question in life they have. But it's conditional. We don't get to say, well, God, we're saved. Bebop into his presence and say, now, Lord, I need that solution. What do I do here with my kids? What do I do here with my marriage? What do I do here with my finances? God, hey, I need that answer. You know, I've been, hey, the time, you know, the clock's ticking. I, I need the answer. That, that's not how it works. See, in verse number 9, he said this. That these things have been prepared or made available for them that love him. 
You know what's children of God get the answers from God? It's the children who love him. Now, if we're not careful, here's what we'll do. We'll all sit back, say, whoa, good, I thought it was going to be a hard condition. We've got to remember what love is. Love is more than a declaration. Love is an action. Now, let's think about this for just a moment. I cannot just sit here tonight and say, well, yeah, I love the Lord. Good. Direction's going to come my way in wisdom and understanding. Well, I'm so thankful for all that, that stuff that I hadn't even thought of yet that He's going to give me because I love Him. Listen, it's more than you and I just sitting here in church tonight saying, oh, yeah, I love Him. Love for God is proven not by in our declaration, but in our actions of obedience toward his word. That's why we're familiar with the verse that says, if you love me, keep my commandments. See, the wisdom of God is available to me. And the wisdom of God is available to a child of God, whomever it is, provided they can honestly say before the Lord that they love Him and their actions prove it. And not just their public actions, but their private actions as well. Who am I behind closed doors? What am I when no one is looking? How do I live and how do I function according to the Word of God? When no one is around, when it's just me, how obedient am I to what God's Word commands? If we could talk to your spouse and find out what you really are. If we could talk to your kids or grandkids and find out what you really are. If we could talk to your co-workers and find out what you really are. Not the church presence, but your real presence away from here. If you don't have a testimony of obedience away from the church, you and I cannot declare that we love God. So this wonderful truth is available, and yet it's conditional. So then it brings up this question. If the need for direction can be met, if the need for an answer can be met through seeking the Lord, but yet we have to love Him prior to that, the question is, how would we respond to such a scenario? Well, I guess it would depend on how bad we want an answer. How bad do we want direction? How bad do we want the leadership of God in our lives? Do we want it bad enough that we're willing to start obeying here? Because we've been resisting 
do we want it bad enough that we'll surrender this because we've been holding on to it? Do we want the wisdom and the direction and the understanding bad enough that we'll say, okay, God, I give and you can have that? Or are we going to look at this area in which we need the direction and say, well, boy, uh, hmm. I'm going to hold on to this, and I'm going to keep doing this and continue living this way. That's our prerogative. But God is under no obligation then at that point to give us the direction we need for that step or that stage of life. Let's face it, every one of us are going to need direction at some point. Every one of us. And at some point, every one of us are going to be crying out to God saying, God, I need your help. I don't know what to do. It's wonderful to know that an answer is available and an answer can be known. But the answers will only come when we love God first. We've got to be willing to ask, do I love him? Do I love him? in my obedience. Let me just say this and then we'll be done. I know every one of us are human. We are all fallen people. There will never be a moment in our lives where we have perfect obedience because we have perfect love. It simply will not happen. But we know whether or not we are pressing toward that or whether or not we're just playing games with it. We know whether or not we are striving to love the Lord with all of our heart and all of our soul and all of our mind. We know that. We also know whether or not it's just an act and whether or not it's just a a show that we put on around certain people. Direction and leadership and wisdom and understanding can be found. It's all been prepared for those who love him. Let's all stand tonight and bow our heads for a word of prayer. Fathers, we come to you this evening. Lord, I am thankful for the words of wisdom that you have given to those who are perfect, to those who are complete and mature in their walk with you. God, I'm thankful that there are answers to the questions, answers that you determined before you even created this world. And God, every answer in all the direction that we need is available to us if our relationship with you is what it's supposed to be. And God, we know whether or not it is tonight. And Lord, there may be some in here this evening, they are in that position where they need some answers, they need some direction. I pray that they would look to you completely and entirely for that direction, that they would not go the way of the world, that they would not seek the wisdom or the counsel of the world, but, God, that they would seek your wisdom above all else. And, God, to the extent that we love you and are walking in obedience, I pray that you'd do as you said you would and give us the direction and the insight that we need. And I pray this now in Jesus' name, amen.